I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, up there in New York City. New York City. Fangraph Zone, John Taylor. John, good evening, sir. How are you? I am doing well. Do you think people like that bit, or, or do you think they even notice it? Hmm. The, the New York City thing? I think they notice it. I think at this point, the bit... Not to notice the bit is in. The bit uh, is John. in. The bit is happening. The bit is it's happening. A bit. It's a part of what we're doing here. Um, no, John, it, it, it's good. I I like it, and okay. it's a great show. So well, people go bit, watch it. I I will continue the bit forever. I love what we do in the shadows, and I will always, always rep it if I get a chance. And to be clear, say. not that what John and I do in the shadows specifically. No, the, no, the, I I I keep my apartment well lit. I I don't mm-hmm. like sitting in in the dark or in shadows. It's, it's unnerving to me have you ever read with like the little book lights uh with it dark everywhere else and people do that i can't do that i used to do that but i i found for myself that if i'm in a dark room with only one bright source of light it's it's an easy path to a migraine like i never get right. migraines but that'll do it for me same my vision and everything else it's just it's not a recipe for success uh for me john um what's also not a recipe for success is giving dansby swanson all of the years and all of the money john taylor which well, is see, what the I, chicago cubs did i don't think but that's the thing i don't think they gave him all the years and all the money he's making he got less than all three of the other major shortstops both in terms of years and dollars i i think he was actually pretty fairly paid um I look. I, I don't like. I think it's pretty clear, and the whole market seemed to agree. Dansy Swanson was number four of the four available shortstop mm-hmm. options. He signed last. He signed for the least. He signed for the shortest, and he signed with a team that is in of the of the three of the four teams who you know did sign a big shortstop. Assuming that whatever happened with the planned Carlos Correa uh, press conference and whatever injury thing cropped up there, I'm assuming it's not a big deal because i feel like if it were we would have heard something by now but the cubs are probably the furthest away from contending of that well i guess it just depends with how you feel about where the giants are and what their odds are both in the west and in the wild card whereas the cubs obviously have an easier path division wise but i i think it's pretty clear that he was not particularly appealing to the immediate contenders because he was very clearly a tier down from correa from bogarts and from trey turner i think though he makes a lot of sense for Chicago in that. And I, I say makes a lot of sense for Chicago, even though Chicago is one of those teams. I know we talked earlier in the offseason that they, you know, they, 
are, are they going to, where are they going to be in on Correa? Where are they going to be in on a big star? Like, you know, where are they going to make moves yet? And Swanson obviously isn't that. He's kind of a step in that direction. I think what's just been weird about the Cubs is they went to all this trouble to, to shed payroll, to, to get rid of, essentially, to, to move on from the World Series winning core because they didn't want to, you know, pay the pay what those extensions would have been worth. And so in, they, they've still been adding talent, but the weird thing is they've just taken a very kind of roundabout way to getting to the same team but worse. Mm. ultimately like i i think what what is just confusing about this for me is just the way chicago has done its has done its roster building where it's for the most part it, it it's like it's marcus stroman and and dansby swanson it's guys who are that very clear second tier of free agent and then nothing really else aside from mm. some kind of cheap ads around the way it, it, it's very much a how can we build a competent team but not necessarily a great team and when you're an nl central team i can understand that you know, that's not a particularly good division and not a whole lot has to break in the Cubs direction for them to be contenders for that division. It mostly takes just some things going pretty wrong in St. Louis. And I think we've already seen Milwaukee this offseason is in a similar position where, you know, they've made a lot of trades to lose salary. They're not, you know, they haven't made any major really if any significant free agent decisions or signings rather, you know, there's not really anyone trying uh, to take the division from the Cardinals right now. And I think, you know, if you're the Cubs, there is that visible spot. And especially because you can go, okay, now we have one of the best shorts, one of the best defensive shortstops in the majors at the position. With him at short and Nico Horner at second base, middle infield is going to be really good for Chicago. He's a good kind of, he's a better bat at that position than I think one that they would have found and two than probably than people expect. A lot of it is just basically how long can Dancy Swanson hold on as a pure fastball hitter who's just never really figured out how to hit breaking balls or make consistent contact with off-speed pitches and who has never been the most patient guy at the plate. I mean, it's working for him now. I don't think it's something where it's just going to collapse out from under him, but it's also kind of that understanding where it's like the last three years or so of that contract are probably not going to be pretty. On the other hand, the last three years of any free agent contract are not going to be pretty. And I think what Chicago is trying to do now is kind of set up that it's not quite it definitely wasn't a skinny rebuild because this team got real bad but i think they're trying to kind of play that lower end of contention like you know we'll aim for like 84 wins and see where that gets us and i think if that's your strategy dancy swanson is about the best option you could get there because otherwise it was going to be horner at short and who at second base I don't, I don't even know who the cubs projected starter at second base was i think it would have been nick madrigal i guess yeah. but that's as we've talked about he he's just not a, a, a he's not capable of producing even league average offense at his position and the jury is still pretty out too on whether or not he's a defender uh, a capable defender at second base i think you'll probably see the cubs sometime between now and spring training try to offload madrigal onto uh maybe a rebuilding team like Miami or Pittsburgh or that's that's not this is why why I don't deserve this or maybe uh Colorado or something and see if there's any interest in in you know someone who has you know who's not going anywhere this season being like yeah let's I mean this guy was the number three pick in the draft let's see if let's see what there is here if anything at all beyond slap hitting and you know some decent base running but I think Swanson fits the Cubs well. I don't think he necessarily makes them contenders in, in any real sense, but I think he makes them better. And better really seems to be... I, I, other, otherwise, if the Cubs aren't going to get better, what are they going to do? And, you know, we've talked about 
oh, there's a, you know, the, the next wave of talent for them is, is still probably a year or two away, but there's also no guarantee any of that really pans out. You know, there, there's still a ways to go for a lot of those guys to prove that they are, even just to get to the majors, much less prove that they're, you know, valuable, viable, regular major leaguers. So I, I think it makes sense for Chicago. I just don't, it's just not a move that I think is going to, it obviously does not vault. It doesn't make the Cubs NL Central favorites. It doesn't make them, I think, realistic World Series contenders. It just kind of puts them in that crowded group of NL wildcard aspirants, I think, which is granted a step up from where they were, but, you know, it's it, it's still, they still need some things to break right for them to to have the season work out for them. And I think part of that too is, you know, you look at that rotation, which right now is topped by Stroman and Justin Steele and, oh gosh, Jamison Tyon, the, guy, the other major free agent signing they made this offseason. Kind of, again, in a similar tier as Swanson and Stroman the year before him, that kind of middle tier free agent. None of those guys have terribly much upside, but they are all competent enough to keep Chicago. In. This is just a competent roster. It's not a good one. It's just functional. And there's still some holes, I think, that need to be addressed. But for the most part, I think Chicago has a team that should be able to get into the 80s win total wise. I just don't know how high up they're going to make it. It feels like the Rickets are like the way they're building this time. And I don't think the wave is as enticing as the Theo way where they tore it to the the just the bare bones and rebuilt this thing. And I think it's a little bit different in terms of the guys coming up. There's just I correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't feel like we're getting the next superstar no, driven no, wave there's from this maybe Chicago a guy group. like Pete Crow Armstrong wave yeah. or like eventually, but no, there's no Chris Bryant, Javi mm. Baez, Anthony Rizzo level talent in that system right now, I don't think anyway. Mm. Um, I, I just think for Chicago, I mean, again, this is if you're going to exist as a major league baseball team, mm. you know, and you're not going to be a t- uh, you're not in the middle of a rebuild, then this is kind of the it's almost like what else are you going to do? This is kind of what you have to do. Mm. I think also. Uh, the way that Chicago did things under Theo Epstein, the first re- the first teardown that led to that World Series team, that's just not something I think teams can really do anymore. That kind of rebuild is really, really hard. You need to get really lucky, and you have to be really good. We've seen a number of teams try that path and not go anywhere. I think it is much harder now with the way that most front offices, if not all front offices, with the exception of randos like you know Colorado, they all have the same rough valuations and kind of uh, insights into players. They all kind of look and try to go for the same caliber of player. You're not going to be able to make those big prospect trades where, you know, you get a bunch of prospects and you get over. Like It, it just doesn't work like that anymore. You know, it, it is really hard to build a team that way. I think you're seeing, like, Washington is trying, but I also think Washington is doing that in part because of, of their issues with ownership. You know, yeah. unless – it pretty much looks to me like unless a team – simply does not have the money to field a competent major league roster. Um, or better said, if a team doesn't have the money, that then the rebuild really, or that kind of teardown seems to be their only path. But in Chicago, I, I just don't, I don't really see how that would have worked. In part, like I said, because it's just, it's very hard to build a team like that. And also, I just, I, I don't really, I don't really see how that would work even necessarily with Cubs fans to tell them, okay, you got your championship, now we're back to Shitsville. Like, you have to try. And I know that this is, you know, again, Swanson, Jamison Tyon, Marcus Stroman, like, you know, Seiya Suzuki, this is not a World Series team, not by any real stretch of the imagination. But it's better, and it should be part of the NL Central and playoff conversation. I just don't see much overall upside, though. I think, that, like I said, this is like an 83-win team with the upside of like an 85-win team. 
you know there, there's not really a they're trying to do here. a little bit each year right like suzuki was last year and stroman and yeah. it's dansby this year but it's just so weird because i just don't understand why you don't just pay Contreras then like why would you not just if you're going to go spend on dansby just bring in Contreras, and it seems like they're a favorite for trey mancini last i saw so it looks like he's a real option at first because there's still a hole there yeah. um but i also think when i look at this roster i think and uh, i don't know if you share this but like hat bellinger um, and Suzuki in the outfield, Mancini at first, Nico at second, Dansby at short. And then you look at Jan Gomes at catcher, but I'm like, man, if you just brought back Contreras and then you never tra- let Chris Bryant get away, then you're like, oh, they could win the NL. Like that's one of those groups where like there's a path if you spend a little bit and you really kind of fix the the rotation a little bit more, you invest a little bit more and you go after a Verlander or whoever. Um Sure, I just don't. I just don't think the Cubs are in that level of spending anymore, and I think it's kind of. Well, I just similar. don't understand why you didn't bring Chris Bryant back. Like, if they're doing this, Chris with Bryant the, with the contract. Just, that's the thing with the contract he got. He was never gonna come back. The Cubs were never gonna give him that amount of money. Why um, though? But I. But I think that's the thing. Like it because ownership doesn't want to spend that much money. I think it's. Similar but it feels to where like they do in like little increments. They're just doing a little bit. They're like, all right, we'll get do a Dansby this year, and then we'll do somebody whoever the well, because, best I mean, at, third at the baseman end of the, is next year. At the end of the day, that's still cheaper, and I think that yeah. is a that is something you can't overlook with a team like the Cubs or similarly like we talked about with the Red Sox is they don't want to play in the top end of the market because the top mm-hmm. end of the market is very very expensive and they have convinced themselves that this alternate route of team building where you just do a bunch of mid-tier contracts and try to supplement that with whatever you can come up with out of your farm system look i don't think i don't agree with that as a particularly smart team building strategy because to mm-hmm. me it is very volatile and it has a lot of potential variants you've seen it with the Red Sox you saw it with the Giants um you know, I think we might see it with the Cubs to a certain degree because it really, really means you have to hit on your player evaluations out of the farm system, coming off of the waiver wire, you know, career minor leaguers. You have to be able to coach those guys up because the ceilings on those mid-tier free agents, the ceiling on a guy like Jamison Tyon, the ceiling on a guy like Danzy Swanson, understandably, those are lower ceilings than on like Carlos Rodon or Carlos Correa, you know? Those are the elite free agents, but Boston, Chicago, that they don't want to pay for that anymore. And Mm. you can agree or disagree with that. I personally think it's, like I said, I don't find it to be a particularly either efficient or smart way of building a roster unless the unless the primary goal is to spend as little as possible in order to build a playoff contender and to try to stay away from paying uh, luxury tax overages, which sure, if that's something you care about, whatever. But I. I can see why Chicago is doing what it's doing. I just don't necessarily agree that it is the best strategy because, again, the, the thing is they've, they've just taken a very roundabout way to getting to a team that is less expensive and also not as good as the one they could have had if they had just kept the band together, I think. And I think that's what's so frustrating if you're a Cubs fan. <laughs> like, this is a much pain, more painful, boring way of going about it than had you well, just... Well, because it's... I think, too, it's their teams are, like I said, are not really doing the teardown route anymore unless yeah. there is no other choice. In part because, like I said, it's so hard to build a team well that way that I think teams would rather do this kind of... Uh, I've called it a skinny rebuild before, but I don't even know if that's really the, the right terminology at this point. This kind of more middle path of we're not going to spend a ton... But we are going to spend a bit, and we're going to focus on improving the farm system. We're going to try to do this the two things at once. It, it's just a matter of, yeah, but where does that leave you ultimately? Like It, mm. you, it kind of caps your roster's uh, upside or ceiling at like 80-something wins, right. which is enough to get you into the playoff conversation, 
but really is not much more than that, you know? And you can say, oh, well, but look at the look at the Braves last year, or last year, look at the Braves in 2021, look at the, the Phillies in 2022. Those were wild card teams, and they, you know, and they went all the way to the World Series and even won it. Like, you know, you can, sure, but those teams also do have the big money deals. You know, mm-hmm. the Phillies got where they are because they gave Bryce Harper $300 million. Like, mm-hmm. the Braves are where they are because they've given, because they have an immensely good farm system and have also been willing to pay for top-end talent, although very much not the case this year with Atlanta. Atlanta's had a very quiet offseason, I think, um, I, aside from the Sean Murphy trade. And I go back, like, when people ask me, like, oh, what do you think of the dance with that? Like, I, I've said on this podcast for, what, months now that he's gone? Like, mm-hmm. I was like, I just, I didn't think he I think, would... I mean, it's pretty obvious when the Braves want to keep someone and when mm-hmm. they want to let someone go. For sure. And I said, like, Elvis Andrews, opening day shortstop for the Atlanta Braves next year. It's very possible. I don't know who the option is. It's not going to be a big money guy. It's just going to be internal. And there's no real options on the peripheral, right? Like, there's no one out there no, that they I mean, can really the, trade for at this point. Like, there's no one. Unless I you want to do Worlds Collide, um, and I don't think the Padres would do this, but Fernando Tatis, it's time to start making the text. I, I Alex think Anthopoulos. That, I think the Padres give their current core one year to figure yeah. it out, to see if it works, and then... Next year, I mean, next year for starters in the winter, they'll have Manny Machado opting out almost certainly. So that'll change. The you think he's opting of out of thirty-two I think, mil? I, th- I think so. I think he'll he'll take. Assuming he has another season like he did last year, I think he'd be a fool not to to try to get one last big deal out of the market before. I mean, Xander mm-hmm. Bogart's got the big money after opting. Everyone everyone gets big money after opting out. With the like, look at Carlos Correa. He he will be thirty-two though. I think right. He will, but he's also going to still have the reputation as a great defensive third baseman, as a fantastic hitter, as a good clutch hitter, and a guy who seems to have really matured in terms of both being a player and a clubhouse guy. I think that's oh, gonna he's going to be, gonna really be a Cub. Appealing. He's the third baseman for the Cubs sign next that year. That would they be just very do. funny mm-hmm. if they just eventually got around to it later. But <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think the Padres give Tatis and Soto and Machado and all of those guys and Bogarts now one year to try to make it work. And then presumably try to reconfigure that based on whether or not Machado opts out, what Tatis looks like coming off the suspension and coming back from injury, and whether or not they can make any progress on a long-term deal with Soto. Um, but as for Atlanta, like I, I think you're right. I don't really know what the outside options would be at shortstop that aren't like Elvis Andrews or Jose Iglesias or someone like that, you know. Or or it's or it's just we throw Vaughn Grissom out there and we just see how it goes. We give it two months. And if two months in, he's really struggling and he's not producing, then we can try and go do something else and maybe make a move somewhere else, you know? Maybe by that point, I mean, Miguel Rojas has been a popular name on the trade market. The Marlins shortstop is a very good defender. Maybe by that point, Miami's thinking, you know what? The season's not going anywhere by now, two months in. Let's see if we can move some veterans and keep bringing in cheaper, younger prospects. That might be a type of Atlanta move to get a guy who's just, you know what? You know, we get a good defender. We can trust him out there with the glove. We stick him at the bottom of the lineup. We'll be fine. You know, whatever he produces is gravy, especially because you can consider it, too, that, you know, what you lose in terms of Swanson's bat no longer being in the lineup, you gain from now having Sean Murphy in the lineup on the regular. Well, also Michael Harrison year two. And a full season of Michael Harris and whatever Grissom can provide on his own and, you know, so on and so on and so forth. Can I say, too, I think Grissom's going to be a better hitter than Dancy Swanson. For Atlanta. Okay. I'll, I, I'd be interested to see that. I just think, you know, I, I do Dancy's think... Dancy's career WRC plus, by the way, is, one, is 94. 94. But that's he the had thing. He 116 like the, last year. The 115 Dansby, two years ago. He's about Dansby, an average... Hit. He's just average. But, he strikes uh, out the, a lot. 
But the Dansby of the last two years is a well above average hitter, and I think he can keep doing that for at least a few more seasons. I don't know. You Look, think the twenty five ha- the twenty five homers? It's a risky bet. It's, it's risky, a, man. Well, that's but that's why he was clearly number four of the four options yeah. and why he got the smallest deal, because I think a lot of contenders looked at him and went, Yeah, we feel pretty good about the next two or three years. It's everything after that we're worried about. Whereas with guys like Bogarts and Correa and Turner, you're like, no, I feel good about these guys for at least the next yeah. like six years. You know, the real pain for those contracts isn't going to come for quite some time. And I think maybe that's why the Correa stuff is being held up, where it's like, we're giving Carlos Correa a lot of money. Let's make sure that with all this money that everything checks out sure. medically. Or, we- I mean, this this also could just be he's got like a bad cold or something and they just had to. I mean, everyone is sick across the country right now. So it may just. Be Do you think that's what it could that. be? I think so. I think, I mean, I, I do find it weird that the Giants simply said it's been postponed and that yeah. it's just kind of vague injuries, injury or illness stuff. But I, I, if I think if it were something super, super major, we would have heard about it by now. I feel like it would have leaked somehow. Then again, it feels like we, the big news always breaks like 30 minutes after we finish recording. I'm glad this. you said that, John, because I saw the Korea and I was just The like, Korea thing happened like two hours after we were done recording. The judge signing happened like two hours after we were done recording. Like, it's it's very annoying. It's <laughs> just very annoying. Just sitting there being like, well, I'm glad I talked about Aaron Judge maybe <laughs> leaving the Yankees only for by the time everyone hears this. I, and it's funny. They only just officially announced the deal today. They finally mm-hmm. finalized it. I assume Judge was uh, on vacation or something. But that, that press conference will be on Wednesday to announce him as the future forever Yankee. For sure. And they had a good tweet. The Yankees did. Uh, yeah. About how, the yeah, arson judge. Making, with making, the fire. Uh, making an arson joke. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of actually what happened here in the Correa signing, because we, you were wondering if Arhan Zaidi was going to actually pull the trigger on something like this, if they were actually going to go down this uh, big money rabbit hole. And I mean, San Francisco has been looming on the periphery for a while and they're a good team and obviously have uh, played above expectations the last few years. Um, not real contenders, but they're they're in that ballpark. One of the issues with them, obviously, is just that like you have the Dodgers in your division year over year, which is it's just the reality. Like it just makes things difficult, more difficult. Um, then you have the Padres who are just throwing money and deal after deal to make this thing work. So if you're the giants, I can understand why you're like, man, I don't really, this is tough. Like it's going to be really hard to gauge how good our team is because like the giants, I think would be the best team in the NL central if they played an NL central schedule right now. And I think that is something that makes jobs like Farhan Zaidi's job uh, a bit more complicated um but he goes up to carlos correa and i mean if you're the rockies or uh the diamondbacks you're like all right i guess we're punting on another season of any kind of competition because if if you're the rockies you've been punting whether it's intentional or not for the last like 15 years so there's that just give chris bryant to the giants no man chris bryant chris bryant loves being in denver he no one cares about what he Mm -hmm. does out there he can just stand in left field nobody gives a shit yeah it's great like if if i were if i were a baseball player who cared first and foremost about money and comfort mm. i would i would go to colorado and just be like just give me whatever deal you want just i want to come here but i need to win a title first because exactly you don't like get- yeah i mean if yeah if, and then and that's what worked out for brian because he already mm. had his world series ring and i'm not saying chris bryant is happy with one world series i'm sure he would love to win all the world series but i also think his his uh priorities maybe more cl- maybe something closer to i want a guaranteed contract that's big and long where i can just chill yeah. You know, and there's no pressure on me to be the franchise savior. There's no like, you know, 
may, I don't know. Maybe Chris Bryant just doesn't want to play in October. Maybe he just likes having that month off. Maybe he's a big college football guy and he just likes having that month off so he can watch games. Maybe he's got a lot of, uh, maybe he's got a lot of, what's it called? Maybe he's got a lot of weddings coming up in October so over the next few years. And he's just like, I need to make sure my calendar is clear for that. So I got to sign with the one team that is never going to play in October. And the one um, fan base that's not going to be upset if I play, uh, I just have 181 how, how plate appearances every day. I mean, day. I know there are Rockies fans who are upset, and I completely understand why, because that team is mismanaged all the way around. Mm. But on the other hand, games at Coors Field are a very chill, comfortable time. Mm. You get to watch all the best teams in the NLS come there on a regular basis, although I guess less so now because of the newly rebalanced schedule. It's yeah. a really nice ballpark. The beer is good. Like, the drinks are good. It's a weebly state. about a little place state. called Aspen. <laughs> Where the where the women flock like the salmon of Capistrano, um, but yeah, I'm bring I, this back to the the Giants with yeah. actual the Correa. So if the rumored numbers and years are correct, John, mm-hmm. do you like this fit over the other possibilities for Correa? I think so. Um, I don't really know where else he could have gone. I guess the other options were Chicago, but if but by the fact that they signed Swanson, it's pretty clear they weren't willing to play in in Correa's ballpark. I think. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it would have been I, we. I mean, we'll we'll never really know how interested the Dodgers are uh, or yeah. were. I think it's very clear that they play they play their cards very close to the vest. It's also very clear that this Dodgers offseason they're they're not really looking to spend big. You know, mm. all of their signings have been smaller, very short term deals, um, for whatever reason that happens to be. I, you I and mean, I, I wanted Baltimore. We wanted it. We wanted to yeah, wield that into also, existence. But it's also really clear that Baltimore is not in a spending in a spending place. Well, hold either. on, John. What gives you that impression? What about this winner from Baltimore gives you the impression? <laughs> Look, when they signed Adam Frazier, I just started <laughs> hooting and hollering. So I was like, the boys in Birdland are back. Yeah, I I, mm-hmm. I think that ultimately, after after the Yankees signed Judge, and I don't really know that they were a realistic landing spot for Correa even without him. And after the Padres signed Bogarts, and they finally got the guy who was willing to take their money, and you know, since Turner went to the Phillies early. You know, those Philadelphia, San Francisco, and I think you could argue Chicago were the, and Boston, I guess, were the teams where you're like, yeah, y'all need a shortstop. Y'all really need a shortstop. And with San Francisco, I think part of the thinking is, well, if that money's not going to go to Aaron Judge and we're not going to re-sign Carlos Rodon and we don't really have any long-term deals we need to hand out anytime soon and we've got money coming off the books in the form of Brandon Belt and Evan Longoria and Brandon Crawford next season and whatnot then we might as well spend it. And I think if you're going to spend it, then a young, powerful, great defensive shortstop is probably the best way to spend it. Mm. You know, Correa is a guy who I think should age very well. Uh, when his shortstop is no longer a thing from him, I think it should be pretty easy to move him over to third or second base. Not a position that the Giants have any real long-term solutions at shortstop. Obviously, they've had Crawford there forever, uh, who will now no longer be playing shortstop there. He'll have to move over, I guess, to third base for the next season. Uh, that was, you know, it, this really did just make the most sense for them in terms of if we want to add an impact bat at the position of need, this is the one that makes the most sense for us. It was either going to be that him or Judge, I think, that would have made the most sense for San Francisco. I think, if anything, Correa probably makes more sense than Judge because he does hmm. play that premium defensive position, whereas Judge was only ever going to be a corner outfielder for the re- for that contract, you know? I, I don't know that, I mean, he could have played a little center, but he obviously wasn't going to be anything other than a right fielder for the long term of that deal, whereas Correa, again, will play the, the more premium defensive position, is a 
I mean, they're both really great defenders, Judge and mm. Correa. But, yeah, I, I think if you're the Giants, and I guess part of this, too, is if you want to be able to stay in that race with the Dodgers and the Padres to any real extent, or at the very least continue to call yourself a wildcard contender, you needed to make that kind of impact addition. And I think Correa was the best option, certainly still left on the market, but probably the one that made the most sense for them ultimately, regardless of the years and the money. Yeah, I just... I well, wonder, I mean, but, and part of it yeah. too is also just to, to finish up is like when I mentioned that whole thing about you know the high variance, high volatility teams where you do the mid tier free agents and you try to supplement from within mm-hmm. as the Giants have tried to do. Again, there's you saw the downside of that last year with the Giants where it's like when guys start getting hurt, you just do not have the body and you don't have the bodies. Like having that elite talent like Correa raises the floor for everybody. Hmm. You know, you're not you're not starting from a position of okay, we're going from a two win player to a zero win player when that two win player gets hurt. You know, it's well, if a two win player gets hurt, fine. We still have the five or six win guy at shortstop. So long as Correa is healthy, he will help keep that roster more afloat than it has been in than it was, especially, excuse me, especially last season. And I think, too, it's also, you know, a, a, an admission and a, on the Giants part, I think that, you know, I think we all felt to a certain degree like 2021 was a little fluky for them, primarily mm-hmm. because it relied on so many older guys uh, producing kind of above what we were beyond what we were projecting them to. And last year was more of kind of a, a severe regression, but a regression nonetheless. Yeah. So I think it's also kind of the implicit admission that, hey, we can't really get away with that. Like if we want to be regular contenders, we need to have, you know, locked in elite players. And also again, defensively too, with that pitching staff, especially that the Giants have, especially with Logan Webb, who throws, who gets a lot of ground balls, having an elite defensive shortstop, that much more important for the for a Giants team that was really, really bad defensively last year and really needed to improve in that category. And Correa will do that for them. And you like that Flores and Listella are just bench guys that... Yeah, and that's what they hit. should be. You, you should yes. not be in a position where Tommy Listella and Wilmer Flores are starting on the regular for you. Those yeah. are valuable platoon and reserve bats mm-hmm. and gloves uh, maybe not so much in Wilmer's case he's not much of a defender but yeah you, you want to have it's all it's almost like having if you it's like signing an elite closer where it just resets the bullpen so it's like oh I like this guy better when I don't have to worry about him having to get all the most important outs he only yeah. has to get some of the most important <laughs> outs that's better everyone mm-hmm. everyone in that bullpen hierarchy takes one step down which means not only do you have more more good pitchers available to spread out more over the course of the game, but you also don't have that one really bad reliever that you have to roster because it's like, well, who else are we going to put on this roster? Right. Similar with Correa. This is a f- big improvement from running out Brandon Crawford on opening day, and it's a big improvement over whoever the backup would have been to Brandon Crawford on opening day. Probably Wilmer Flores, which is not a good sign. Or was not a good sign, rather. No, but... You know, I'm very curious to see what happens to the Giants. And their rotation's just so weird. Because, like, if you're a long-term baseball fan, and you would have told, I mean, you and I, John, like, four years ago, mm-hmm. the Giants rotation would consist of Alex Cobb, Sean Manea, um, and I, uh, Ross Stripling, and Alex Wood. And we'd be like, this team could be it's a funny, real those contender. Are, all those guys are the same guy. San Francisco yeah. is a very particular type of guy <laughs> that they like. Uh, for what it's worth, I really like the stripling signing for them. I thought that was yeah. a, a perfect fit. But They're all old outside of Logan Webb. 32, 33, 31, and 35. It's, it's very much a placeholder rotation because I mm-hmm. think San Francisco is another one of those teams that has decided we are not handing out long-term deals to pitchers unless they are like the elite of the elite. Mm-hmm. And I think you could argue, well, then what is Carlos Rodon to you guys? He is the elite of the elite, and he actually got... I thought a much smaller deal than he was going to end up getting 
Especially but do you like way. that deal more than Manaya or Manaya? Why do I keep saying? Is it Manaya or Manaya? Manaya. Manaya. Um, well, it's 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 apples to oranges, right? Manaya is in no way, shape, or form a Carlos Rodon replacement. Yeah. You know, it's more the idea that instead of concentrating all our resources in the 180 innings that Carlos Rodon will give us, we will concentrate that on the, let's say, 280 to 320 that Manaya and Stripling plus will get us. You know, mm. it's about. It's more. I think it's about. In that case, it's spreading out the risk, so to speak. Yeah. The Giants clearly are not the team. Like they already made the big Korea signing. And very clearly, they'd rather invest in the position player than the pitcher. And I think that makes sense, especially because I also don't think the Giants are one pitcher away. You know, I mm. don't think that bringing Rodon it's not back their ethos, right? Like this is not who like Andrew Bailey and all those guys and that profile of like this staff is like, no, we want to be like the Rangers, just like a souped up version of the Texas Rangers where you come think, into well, San Francisco. and We maximize these guys that everyone well, else think, does want to get the big deals to. And I think that's the other thing, too, is they feel probably with a guy like Manaya or with a guy like excuse me, with Stripling or as has been the case already with guys like Wood and Cobb, that there is an underlying level of performance that they feel that they can bring out if they can keep them healthy and make some, you know, changes, additions, whatever, tweaks to their repertoire, to their mechanics, that'll make them a better version of the pitcher they are. Again, it's it's higher risk because those guys have a lower floor, obviously, than a guy like Rodon, injuries notwithstanding, and or sorry, a lower floor and a lower ceiling. But at the same time, I, th- I understand that Giants mindset of, no, we'd rather just use this use that money to sign three pitchers whom we think can all kind of be kind of high threes, mid threes ERA guys, as opposed to the one guy who's guaranteed to be like a 325 ERA, but then have to worry about filling out the back of the rotation with prospects who aren't ready or guys like Jordan Lyles or Kyle Gibson, you know, that. Yeah. I, I, and I think I, that makes sense to me for San Francisco. Where I think it's sign Casey. Two, yeah, two years, 17 million, which... <laughs> Sure. Sure Royals. What, whatever. The, whatever the. There's no point in thinking about what the Royals are doing at any given time because it is mm. just the inexorable march forward of time. Essentially, the Royals <laughs> are just entropy. They will just keep doing things until there is no more to be done. Um, good for Fair Jordan Royals, Lyles man. too, I guess. How how that dude has had a surprisingly long career yeah. for someone who has never been anything better than like a four starter. Really something. He's first rounder, right? I, I don't remember. I mean, in my mind, Jordan Lyles has been in the majors since like 2004. Well, he came up early with the Rockies, didn't he? Oh, he was he was a Astros draft pick in 2008. But did he debut with the or, or Rockies? Or no, am I he was in he was in Houston for three years, and then okay. he went to the Rockies. And then here's how many teams Jordan Lyles has been. On. <laughs> this is actually kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Houston, Colorado, San Diego, Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee again, Texas, Baltimore, and now Kansas City. That is. Team number nine in what has been an 11-year career so far. Hmm. Also, fun fact, and I don't know how many guys like this are left, Jordan Lyles was on the last Astros team that was still in the National League back in 2012. Wow. Yeah. And he, he, is the div- he is a marker for the end of one era and the beginning of another. Jordan Lyles. He, he's like one of the rings on the inside of a Sequoia where you can tell <laughs> it's like, oh, this historical event. The Jordan Lyles year. <laughs> Fangraphs, writers, use this if you can. Uh, yeah, please. John will appreciate it. Uh, do something. I mean, we have someone writing. Uh, Michael Bauman actually wrote the the Jordan Lyles uh, signing analysis. That'll you be can out. edit in. You're an editor, John. Edit in Jordan Lyles. Uh, this portion of it. Look, it, I mean, Bauman wrote it. There's a good chance he's referencing Sequoia tree rings anyway. Like, it's true. But yeah, I like I, Bauman. I think... It's just the unfortunate thing is the South Carolina stuff with him. It's just uh, we all can't be perfect. But when I see the the Gamecock stuff with him, I just 
I love that for you, the SEC stuff is the game breaker. It's just... It really... Bo- it, look, I don't like it any more than anybody else, but um, they're frauds, and uh, I hope wow. nothing but the worst for them. Yeah, now you have to have Bauman on this podcast, and don't talk any baseball. Like, mm. Literally no baseball. It's just SEC and college baseball talk. I mean, I'm here for it. Remember when South Carolina was good at baseball? It's a long time ago. Michael Bauman does. Yeah, he does. That was those were I mean those yeah that was years and years and years ago like we can talk about Chase Dillinger going number one overall next year. Look honestly, if you want a college baseball <laughs> podcast, he is an insane college baseball sicko. He loves college baseball. See, I can't do that. Like, there's just too much going on. And you just have like Cal State Fullerton's good, and there's just so much stuff to watch all over the place. You're like, there's no way I can have a great handle on this come until the regional, super regionals, and all that kind of stuff. All I can do is uh, Tennessee baseball, and I've got the Braves Major League Baseball going on. How is he able to juggle all that? Can't do it. Beats me, too much. but I, I highly recommend you have him on, especially around the draft, because he's also yeah. a big draft guy, because uh, especially now that with that running into um, what because they do the, they do the draft now after the tournament or before it used to be during, which I always found to be the dumbest it's after thing. it's after now. OK, it has to be after. So look at that. You can do an NCAA tournament pod. You can do some you can do some draft potting too. Mm-hmm. Talk, you can you can do the Chase Dollander talking future uh, Burns talking who got the number one pick this year pittsburgh is it pittsburgh or is it washington uh i can't remember now uh, either way chase dollander future mm-hmm. guy who's gonna get traded in five years to a better team like it's great <laughs> he's gonna be awesome chase dollander is a great player and you know it's also gonna be awesome you get to watch him up close and personal yeah so it's uh pittsburgh one washington two Okay. So also, we need to have like a ban on Detroit having a top three pick. They have the number three pick. They're not allowed. Like, well, the funny thing is, this is I, I mean, I don't know enough about this draft, but from what I've been told, it's like it's a two-way race for the number one. Pl- for number Good. one, right? they don't it's, deserve it. It's Dollander, and then it's the LSU outfielder. Right? Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I forget his name already. But so no Detroit, surprise that LSU and Tennessee are the co-favorites to win the SEC this year. <laughs> so there you go. Detroit might be. Detroit looks like they might be picking third in a two-guy draft. So. <laughs> Hey, it's, it's tough. <laughs> Mickey Moniak, come on down. Oh, boy. Um, you know what's weird, John? Andrew Benatende signed a long-term deal, long-term-ish, with the White Sox. And the White Sox kind of addressed right field for the first time ever, or addressed their outfield in a way for the first time ever. Do you know what's funny? This deal for Benintendi, five years, 75 million, yeah. the biggest contract the White Sox have ever handed out in free agency. Is it really? Jerry Reinsdorf will <laughs> never see paradise. He is a monster. But yes, this is this is a position that the White Sox have more or less pretended didn't exist yeah. for the last forever. Remember that year when they had Nomar Mazzara as the like opening day starter, yes. like four years after Nomar Mazzara was a thing? Just remarkable stuff how little they have tried in the outfield corners. He's just like, what's Maglio Ordonia's doing? He just like once Maglio hung it up, it was like, that's it for me. I'm taking yeah. a break from right field. Um which and it's funny too because they've passed up all the like they passed up on Bryce Harper, mm-hmm. obviously back when it happened. They were not at all involved in the Aaron Judge sweepstakes. Um really all the major corner outfielders who have passed through free agency over the years have not Chicago has never been on any of them. For whatever mm. reason, though, Benintendi is the guy they decide to make the move for. I think, again, because Benintendi is very clearly that next tier down a free agent where he would be amenable to a $75 million contract because mm. it's clear Chicago, like like their crosstown rivals, like the Red Sox, like a few other teams, would prefer being the kind of contender that hands out middle-level free agent contracts and doesn't really spend to that ultimate extent. Mm. The problem with that is, on the one hand, Benintendi fills a, fills a hole. He is an above-average player, 
in terms of he's a good hitter, uh, good at making contact, he's a fine defender, he's an okay base runner. But that's the thing, he doesn't really have one elite carrying tool. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Probably the hit tool is the closest you get, and that's maybe like a 50. Yeah. You know? Otherwise, he's, again, a, a, an okay defender, a worse base runner than he really should be, hmm. has never really developed much power. Which like, is weird when you consider the gun show that he's been bringing to the table forever. It is. Uh, speaking of SEC baseball, Arkansas boy. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it has just never fully clicked for Ben Benintendi for whatever reason. I, I, I can't. Was he a I Red Sox? Yeah, what are we? Why are we doing this? <laughs> Why are we doing this? That whole 2018 team has just been scattered to the wind. It's absolutely amazing. That was only four years ago that the Red Sox not just won the World Series, but also did it with the most dominant regular season team they have ever assembled. And four years later, it is just completely gone. Um, But think of the savings, John. (laughs) Passed directly onto me, the consumer. Mm -hmm. But Can Jeter Downs make this team? (sighs) Boy. But it's funny, though, that Benintendi... He fills a hole. He solves a problem for the White Sox, a mm-hmm. team that struggled badly getting, that got no production out of its corner outfielders, struggled badly to hit right-handers because it doesn't, you know, that team lacks really impact left-handed bats. Ben Benintendi should solve both of those problems. He'll hit high up in that lineup and be a better on-base guy, I think, than what the White Sox have run out in years previous. But still, the, the ceiling for this White Sox team does not feel very high because this is just not really an impact signing in that regard. This is a guy who makes your team better, but he's not a guy who really changes the future or direction of this. But it of, stabilizes of the team a little bit. He might bet in the two hole. Like I he think probably he's going to be critically think, important for this and, team. Actually, and I think he will stabilize things for them. But it's also a matter of okay, but he, Chicago still doesn't have a viable second baseman. Hmm. Uh, who, who do they have penciled in right now? Your they guess is as good as mine. Romy Gonzalez. Yeah, that that's just not going to fly. Not a year no. after they did the same thing at second base, and we're like, oh, we'll just make do with Josh Harrison and Cesar Hernandez. No, you won't. Is there anybody still left? Any free agents? Who's left? Not really. I mean, they're just kind of stuck with whatever they wanted, like with Romy Gonzalez down there. I mean, obviously, they'll, they'll lose something with... Wait, with, is Josh Harrison still out there? He's around. He's available. You can just bring him back. <laughs> uh, I think, but I think Ben Benintendi is similar to what they did with Mike Clevenger, where it's, it's more mm. just to patch a hole than it is to actually take a step forward do you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's just let's it's like we're not actually gonna we're not we're gonna improve this team but only in a very in a very kind of small way and it's less about improvement than it is about just eliminating abs like the the gaping holes mm-hmm. because Cle- you can guys like clevenger and ben Intendi, there's just not that much upside left on them at this point yeah Clevenger is what he is at this point, barring better recovery from Tommy John surgery. Ben Intendi pretty much is what he is at this point. Um, you know, the the if the White Sox are going to take a step forward, it's not going to be because of Ben Intendi or Clevenger. It's going to be because they get a full healthy season out of Luis Robert. They get a full healthy season out of Aloy Jimenez, and he do, now a, a really critically important thing: keep him as much out of the outfield as possible. It's because Juan Mancada actually comes back to some form of production. It's getting a healthy season out of Yasmani Grandal. It's Andrew Vaughn stepping in for Jose Abreu and not really missing a beat. They need a lot of things to go right in that regard that I can understand on the one hand, it's like, well, you're not going to, it's not like you're going to add a free agent who's going to make Luis Robert healthier. You just kind of have to hope for that to happen. But they're also, you know, they're not really making the kind of over the top moves that would turn that thing from, hey, it'd be nice if we got a healthy season from Luis Robert into, or better said, their position right now is we need a healthy season from Luis Robert, as opposed mm. to with a better signing. Boy, it sure would be nice to get a fully healthy season from him. But even if we don't, we're still a better team than we were last year. 
I think Benintendi makes him a better team than last year. I just don't think he moves the needle particularly much. On the flip side, though, like, it's not even just that. I, this is maybe just, uh, Moving on from La Russa is a big win here. In and that, that we cannot overstate how much that's <laughs> going to help. Getting rid of the the absolute crypt keeper mummy, mm-hmm. whose what blood that does is for like vibes. half. His blood is like fifty percent like old crow. Yeah, that that'll that'll be a big change. I think that'll be a big old help for the Chicago White Sox and current manager. Who is the White Sox manager? <laughs> Really, just on top of things over here. Wasn't uh, it the Houston bench coach? Who do they have? Oh uh, yeah, uh, uh, Pedro Griefall. No, he was um, the Royals bench coach. Oh, I guess the guy at Houston who we thought was gonna be the favorite stayed in Houston, right? The Houston uh, Astros so. bench coach. Either way, but yeah, Pedro for Pedro Griefall, but Joe Espada. That was Joe it. Joe Espada. Okay, but yeah, because I thought he was the favorite for the while, and he didn't. He didn't get yeah. the job. It's also worth noting with with the White Sox, their farm system's really bad. Like, it's not producing major league talent. Like, maybe a guy like Lennon Sosa can function as a utility guy. You know, maybe Oscar Colas eventually comes up and takes right field away from Gavin Sheets or, or you know, left field or whichever it happens to be. Um, but they're not real. They're not in any position where they're grad. Like, all the guys who are part of that big rebuild, all those big prospects are either up or gone. You know? Yeah. So this. Well, this, this is core, why we. I mean, that's what the. I mean, they were ready to win like the last couple of years. That's why you're like, what are you doing last year? Like that, last year was insane. And like, that's what, what are we gets doing? Me, that's what gets me about signing Benintendi and Clevenger is that, as finishing moves, yeah, that's fine. But as your only moves, you're like this window that the White Sox have with this current group of guys. I, it, I'm not saying it's closing tomorrow or anything. But again, you're not you're not bringing up any more guys. This is it. This is this is the core. This is the group. Mm. And you're also starting to run into issues of like contract wise. I think Tim Anderson's only under contract for this year and I think has an option for next. You know, yeah, you're going to get start getting to the point where guys like Robert and Jimenez are going to start getting more and more expensive to the point where Dylan Cease is going to get expensive to the point where Lucas Giolito is going to get expensive. Well, speaking of, can we say that they have the best rotation in the AL Central? Like, I love the rotation. I think Cleveland is still better, but I think it's probably close. It, it, a lot of it depends on, one, how Giolito looks after a really mm. up-and-down season last year. Two, if Kopech is fully healthy, and I guess less so, three, if Lance Lynn is fully healthy. Yeah. Um, I just believe more in Cleveland's ability to get the most out of its pitchers than I think Chicago has been able to do. I mean, Cease obviously is probably the best of anyone in that group, with the possible exception of Shane Bieber, but... Yeah, I, I just I like more what Cleveland has, I think, which is funny because they have far less upside in that rotation, but I think are a far more stable group and a far less. There's also, I think, way less drop off. Like if, if someone on if let's say Mike, if let's say Kopech can't start the season healthy, mm. the next guy up on that on that depth chart is uh, Jimmy Lambert, Davis Martin, like that's not ideal. Those are not guys you want to be relying on for any extended period of time. Those are guys you want making spot starts. Mm. Maybe eventually moving into rotation roles going forward once Lynn and Giolito and Clevenger have all have all left and you're rebuilding around Cease and Kopech. But yeah, that I mean, that's uh, Chicago has no real depth in the farm in its minor leagues and is so reliant, I think, on a particular group of guys getting and staying healthy and productive that again the the variance the the potential like you know uh, range of outcomes is really wide for them i think in a similar way to the red Sox, in a similar way to the cubs and similar to what the giants went through last year 
and you just want to be like, can we just get to Kelly, Graveman, and Hendrix every single night? Can that just be our that's seven, also eight, gonna, nine? Like, can we just do that? That's also going to be really tough, is that their bullpen beyond Hendrix, Graveman, and if he's healthy, Aaron Bummer. Yeah. yeah I don't really, I do not like this bullpen. I mean, Reynaldo Lopez was weirdly good last year, mm-hmm. but Joe Kelly is Joe Kelly. Um, Jake Diekman is awful. I still don't understand why the White Sox traded for him. Uh, Jose Ruiz is fine. It, it, it really all it hinges on Hendricks, Graveman, and Bummer, and maybe they get Crochet back at the end of the season at some point. But, mm. yeah, again, there there's just not I'm a, a firm lot of believer, though, if on this roster. Yeah, I just – I'm a firm believer that if the bullpen's the last thing, then you can figure that out. Like, bullpen is just – if that's your last issue, you I'm okay with that. My problem, though, is that Hendricks and Graveman in particular have been really heavily used the last two years. Yeah. Um, that those are guys where you're, they're not necessarily like, I don't necessarily know that that's going to make a huge difference, but ideally you do not want them pitching every day or every, even really every other day. You want to be able to give them breaks. You want to be able to give them rest. And the way that Chicago's bullpen is built, if they have a lead in the late innings, those two guys are going to be pitching all the time. And that's not really, and this is also not an offense unless it's healthy that is built to score a ton of runs and put the game out of reach quickly. You know, this is a team that had to grind out a lot of like narrow one and two run, two run wins last year when they had them. Like, and that also blew a fair amount of them too because there's just no real margin for error. So, I mean, again, Benintendi, I think, is something he's a player the White Sox had to add at a certain point because, again, you kind of need corner outfielders in this game, and one of them cannot be Aloy Jimenez. But I think that's a team that's uh, perpetually, we keep saying this every single year, needs to do more, has to do more, refuses to do more. And as such, I, I mean, I, I'm early, but I'm st- I, I am probably going to pick the Guardians as my as my division favorite for next mm. year, um, with the Twins probably as the other option. I the White Sox. I'm really going White need, Sox. I, I can't do it anymore. I can't keep falling. I, for their, I, I you I just have PTSD. You have I White do. Sox PTSD. I, I'm I'm just I'm I'm Guy Pierce and Memento. I'm just gonna get <laughs> don't believe in their lies tattooed on me about the mm. White Sox. Um, well, there's more time. We have all the time in the world to get to our preview series and all that good stuff. So who knows yes. what can happen here. Um, last big signing that we have not touched on yet, Carlos Rodon. We touched on him a little bit with the with the Giants, but he goes to the Yankees. John mm-hmm. Taylor. Um, how do you feel about the fit with Rodon in New York and not think, Queens? I think it's a great fit for the Yankees and for Rodon. Uh, a very straightforward pitcher, power fastball, power slider, probably one of the best sliders in baseball, a very good fastball to go with it. There's not a whole lot of moving parts or kind of extra to Rodon. He just he goes out, grips, and rips it, and I love that. I think for the Yankees, they had reached that point in the offseason. I mean, obviously, they, bring, they brought back Judge, but they pretty much passed on more or less every other impact hitter available on the market, obviously did not go anywhere near any of the shortstops. Um, I think if you're looking at the Yankees, you could say, okay, what what would you want to address here? The outfield? Well, there aren't really any good corner outfield options left at this point. You're probably just going to have to try to make it work with some combination of Aaron Hicks and, and Giancarlo Stanton and whoever else in left field. Or maybe that's something you address in a trade. Who knows? I know they were uh, talking about Max Kepler for a bit. You know, the Twins, obviously, and having signed um, – who was it they signed now that they need to they need to make some room? Did they sign anyone? The twins? Joey Gallo, yeah, they oh, Joey that was Gallo. a lot. Yeah, 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 Joey Gallo, yes. So obviously they're going to do some outfield shuffling, but mm-hmm. uh, I guess the other position would have been catcher. Although I, I know that you know Jose Trevino was very good for them last year, and Wilson Contreras was really the only impact addition available there, if not Sean Murphy in a trade. Uh, obviously shortstop, I think they're very much committed. It seems like to Anthony Volpe eventually getting that job, or maybe Jose per- or not Jose Peraza, um, Oswaldo Peraza. 
Um, the other thing with the corner outfield stuff is I kind of doubt anyone left on the market at this point can really outproduce Oswald Cabrera. Mm. Um, he seems like a pretty good option out there, maybe as part of that group with Hicks and Stanton, depending on what they want to do. So when you look at it, it's like, okay, the rotation is really the one last place the Yankees not only could make an impact, but also where there was an impact player available in Rodon. And it's also, it's part of it too, is that Toronto got better this off season. Uh, the Rays haven't really done anything, but they're still the Rays. Baltimore should be better. I am not going to talk about the Red Sox. You know, if, you know, this is a, as much about creating that space between New York and Toronto as it is about, well, this is the last guy really who's going to be able to make that kind of impact. Because the nice thing about Rodon is, you know, there, this isn't like, a, oh, well, we need to, f-. it's not like when the, with the Giants signing Sean Manet and being like, oh, well, you know, he needs better health and we need to work on his repertoire and we need this, that. No, Rodon, you just plug and play. It's like when they signed Garrett Cole. It's like, no, we know exactly what we're getting and it's going to be really, really good. Um, I Do you think, think it Cabrera makes, is an everyday player for them next year? I think in a, not in a regular position, but as a kind of jack-of-all-trades utility guy, yes. I think mm. he'll be playing around the infield. I think he'll probably start four times a week, Okay, I would guess, um, depending on how things play out injury-wise. But... Yeah, I, I, I they think they signed somebody else. I wonder if they sign another outfielder. I just don't know that there's anyone left on the outfield market who really makes any sense for them. Mm. You know, I, I, I don't I, I don't really see it because at this point, you know, with Michael Brantley down and Brantley yeah. was only really nominally a corner outfielder. Um, your best bets in the outfield who are still available are Jerickson Profar. David Peralta, Will Myers, that, that's not a great list. Like, uh, th- Jackie Bradley Jr. Oh, boy. Um, Wait, Tommy Pham's still out there. Pham is pretty much at this point a platoon bat who is not really a good... De- I, that's kind of the thing. Every one of these guys is not a starter, with the possible yeah. exception of Profar, who How is at this point basically an Adam older Oswald Cabrera. With the Yankees. Goodness It's gracious. a good question, and I'm, I'm curious to see... Uh, I mean, he's a guy... If, if, you're, if you're a team that needs... Uh, right-handed power off the bench to, to face lefties if you're a really lefty-heavy lineup. Obviously a good addition possible there. I think the other thing with the Yankees is they presumably would want some left-handed offense, mm-hmm. which means that they're more... I mean, maybe, maybe a guy like Peralta makes sense as a reserve. I don't know. Um, mm. Maybe... Corey I need Dickerson? Michael Conforto for the LOLs. I think Conforto is the one potential impact outfield bat still left, but I also have to imagine the teams after what happened last offseason are probably extremely wary of signing him to anything other than a one-year deal with a lot of conditions attached. So yeah. I imagine that Conforto is probably going to be one of those guys who's still available in free agency going into spring, or maybe not going into spring training, but definitely who should still be available uh, in January. And I... I wonder if, if the Yankees will get involved in that, if they will feel like, you know what, screw it, we'd rather just have, just plug him into left field and see how he does, and if it doesn't work, well, we'll figure something else out. I think, but that is also probably predicated on being able to dump Aaron Hicks somewhere and being mm. able to rid themselves of what's left of his contract. That's fair. Um, John, we'll end on this. Mm. Who is having the worst offseason thus far? The, whose name doesn't rhyme with the... Sh- you can't do the Red Sox. We, no. We've done too much torture here for that. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, and there are a few different ways you can look at it in terms of teams that should be doing more because of where they are. Like, uh, it, honestly, I don't like the offseason the Dodgers have had. I huh. don't like it. I, I, I understand it to this in the sense that everyone they've signed has made sense within. But like signing J.D. Martinez, for example, they effectively traded J.D. Martinez for Justin Turner. Martinez signs with the, with the Dodgers. Turner yeah. goes and signs with the Red Sox. So I get the 
presumable hope that Martinez reunited with Robert Van Skoyak, the hitting coach who really turned him into the version of J.D. Martinez that we've seen the last several years. And particularly, it seems like he really wanted to reunite with Mookie Betts. Maybe that will, you know, bring back some level of the offense he seems to have been losing the last couple years as he's aged. But part of that, too, is like, as these guys get older, this is just what happens. And a guy Mm -hmm. like Martinez, if he's not producing with the bat, offers you literally nothing else. He cannot play the field. He is a terrible base runner. He is just a bat, essentially. And as much as I get why Los Angeles wanted to do that, on the other hand, it's like, but this roster is just kind of a mess right now. Like, making ter- like getting rid of Justin Turner means Max Muncy is your third baseman now? Like, your shortstop is Gavin Lux? Are you sure about that? You know, like Chris Taylor, regular outfielder? Are you sure about that? I, I-, I just feel like there are so many positions on this team where I'm like, are you guys really going to do this? You have, a ro- you have a payroll of like $200 million dollars and the Padres have spent all offseason bulking up to, like, Barry Bonds and 2001 levels of, like, just, f- like, bulk, essentially. Mm. Don't you want to do a little more? Like, you got to do a little more, I feel like. I mean, I don't Maybe know. Maybe they're Maybe, all in on Michael Bush. <laughs> I, I mean, I think a lot of this is about resetting the payroll so that when they go after Shohei Otani next year, they can make the biggest offer on the face of the planet, non-Steve mm. Cohen division, and sign him. Or it's just keeping that space open if they want to make a trade for someone at some point. I don't know who that would be necessarily. And that's more how they operate. It is more how they operate. They are not a huge free agent team. But I, I just think that the number of whole or the number of like iffy positions on this roster and the kind of weird, especially defensive construction that they're using right now, I feel like that it's just kind of a, they've put themselves in a weird spot where I don't really feel like I don't feel like the team that's going to be on the field opening day for the Dodgers is the team that's going to be in the playoffs for the Dodgers. I think there's probably Hmm. going to be a lot of change between now and then, but I'm just kind of, I'm not really clear or sure why they haven't done more this off season in terms of adding guys who are like beyond just like, uh, again, peripheral guys, like kind of roster, like along the roster margins, as opposed to, you know, I don't know if they were ever seriously in on Rodon, for example, but you know, a guy like that, or judge would have required a lot of moving around too, but a guy like judge, a guy like Correa, like, you know, it's a little strange to me, especially given that, you know, letting Turner walk and, and not really replacing him. That also strikes me as a little strange. Otherwise, I think Baltimore has had a very bad offseason. I don't, I, another team that has really not taken advantage, I think, of the circumstances that it has, in particular the fact that Baltimore has no long term money at all on the books. And this really would have been an ideal time to make a splash. Like, they could have easily signed both Correa and Rodon. Yeah. No problems there upgraded to major positions on the team, really put themselves not just again in the AL wildcard conversation, but realistically in the AL East conversation. Instead, I think that's a team that all of its success is going to have to come from the young guys. That's a lot of pressure. And that's also really risky. You know, that's that's not an established base. And I think, too, if there are injuries in Baltimore, there's a relatively healthy team last year. Injuries are would really, really present problems for them. Uh, in a similar vein, I don't know if you can really say that Miami has had a disappointing offseason. Hmm. I don't think it's been a good one, though. They haven't done it. Well, they're anything. not operating like a front office that is they're not operating like a major league team. They're just well, not. not just that, but like a front office that basically was told like, this is it for you guys. Like you have to make the playoffs probably or you're out. And they're well, I, not really go because we thought going in the offseason, like I think we said, like they had the most trade artillery of anyone in Major League Baseball because of how many unbelievable young arms they have in this rotation that like, man, they just move one or two of these guys 
they can completely remake this team. And they haven't done it. No. And I, I'm really confused as to why they haven't. I'm starting to wonder if ownership just flat out doesn't have money. Uh, Bruce Sherman, probably the most over-leveraged owner in baseball, a guy who had to take on considerable debt to buy that franchise, a move that MLB never should have allowed in the first place. But I, I, I do wonder if ownership there is just is completely cash-strung. And well, that's just, great. <laughs> that's I mean, why Jeter got out. <laughs> I, I really do think that's why Derek Jeter left in part, it, because he, did, he realized, hey, this team not only doesn't have a commitment to spending big and making the moves needed to make this team better, they don't have the money to spend big, and they're not going to, and it's always going to be like this. Uh, part of it, too, I think, is this Jeter probably wanted a bigger voice in uh, player making, in player evaluation and decision-making than I think the rest of the ownership group in front office really wanted him to be involved in. I imagine their idea was more, hey, you're Derek Jeter, face of the Marlins. Go out and be, you know, just be the face. Don't, don't be the brains. Be the face. But... I, yeah, I, I don't really get what Miami is doing. I think the only real explanation is an Oakland-type scenario where it's just, oh, we just don't have money. We just do not have money. Sorry, no money here. Um, Go Marlins. Yeah, Oakland having a very bad offseason, but that, I think, was to be expected. I mean, I just think there are a lot of teams like Colorado, Pittsburgh, um, you know, Cincinnati that have just not done anything this winter. And I don't necessarily know if you can call that a bad offseason for them because none of those teams were expected really to do anything or contend. But it's still just disappointing to see teams that were just out and out bad last year do really nothing to make themselves better in the process. You know, Texas, I think, is the only team where they were just flat bad last year, where it seems like they have made an honest effort to be like, no, 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 we're not going to be bad again. I think San Francisco probably another one, but San Francisco is obviously also a team where two years ago they led them, they led the league in wins. So that's a little, I think, a little more complicated. But. Um, yeah, those are the ones that stick out to me just as, as being particularly kind of noteworthy for just not doing really anything. Um, otherwise, you know, I, I similarly, Washington, Detroit, like, but those teams weren't going to do anything. I think in terms of teams where you actively expected them to do something, the Dodgers, Orioles, and Marlins, I think, have just, and of course, the Red Sox, have just had off seasons where you're just kind of like, what are you guys doing exactly? Like, what is the plan here? Because there does not seem to be one, at least visible from from here. Yeah, man. Well, still a little bit of time. Not anything. All the major stuff's gone, but we'll see what the... What yeah, I mean, the... I think we're effectively in trade season right now. Yes. Because all the major free agents, with the exception, I guess, of Conforto and... Uh, who even... It, like, who is the top free agent still left on the market right now? I just closed the list. Um... I'm, I'm looking it back up again. It's Elvis Andrus. Oh, my God. Future brave Elvis Andrus. Corey Kluber, Brandon Drury, Jerks and Profar, like Johnny I'm kind of surprised Kluber's still out. I am a little bit too. I kind of figured a team would have snapped him up by now as one of as like a fourth or fifth starter with some. I, I didn't realize Corey actually Cooper's already him too. thirty-seven years old. Yeah, boy, I thought he was just perpetually thirty-one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the guy. I think the most the most impact free agent probably still left is Nate Yavaldi, and after that, it's pretty much it's a bunch of one to two win guys who are more just about filling out the margins of a roster than about adding anything really substantial. So. I'd say the next thing we're looking for once the holidays are over um, is just is whatever trades are kind of still left to make. The, the major free agent. Well, I'm looking part of the forward to the Dodgers over. making a big trade two hours after we get off this call. Yeah, 100. percent The Shohei Otani trade is happening mm -hmm. sometime in the next six minutes. Yeah. So I feel like it's a hobby bias or something. They just do some kind of reclamation that projecting. Would be so weird. Oh my yeah. god. And they would just like, you know that it'd be like oh wow. Putting him like, at third, Muncie spot. That's, actually, oh, that's actually kind of a fascinating idea. It's like, what if they go to the Tigers and say, listen, 
We'll yeah. take Baez and Eddie Rodriguez off your hands. Yes. We'll we'll eat the money. We'll eat mm-hmm. so much of the money. In exchange, you're not really going to get anything, but you're just not going to have to pay these guys anymore. Yeah. They've I done this before, by the way. Do we remember the Boston Red Sox trade? The Nick Punto trade. Yeah. Big They've one. done this. Yeah. And it's something that a team with their resources can do. I just don't know if it really makes sense for the Dodgers to invest in. Baez very clearly is just like... <laughs> He's never going to improve. He is always going to be this guy. And yeah. it's just a matter of will will the batted ball luck fall in his favor or not? And then Rodriguez, I think, is a matter of... I, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because his last few seasons have been really injury interrupted. But I, I don't know if that's, a, if that's a move that really makes sense for Los Angeles. Again, unless it's something where they have to give up literally no talent in exchange and just eat a substantial sum of the money. But I, I don't know if the if the Dodgers want to crowd their payroll with guys who you know who have such who have as much volatility as Rodriguez and Baez do. But it's it's a I think that's a possibility for the Dodgers is to start going around at this point and telling teams, hey, have you got an overpriced player that you're not really <laughs> thrilled about for the future? Mm-hmm. Eh, come on over here. We won't give you anything for him, but at least you won't have to pay his contract anymore. Oh my goodness. John Taylor, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at Fangraphs.com? So very exciting. Our prospect list season has begun. The Milwaukee Brewers, our top 38 Brewers prospects are out now, courtesy Eric Longenhagen. Uh, We'll be focusing first and foremost on the teams that have their complexes down in the Arizona region because that's where Eric is based. So coming in the future from us, you're going to see uh, the White Sox, the Dodgers, the Reds, the Guardians, the Mariners, the Padres, the Rangers, the Royals. We're going to get all the Phoenix teams out of the way, uh, assume with some, some of the Florida teams scattered in there as well. Uh, so that's the big thing to look out for is prospect list season. Otherwise, Jay Jaffe's Jaws profiles, the Hall of Fame ballot continue. He is almost at the end of his full profiles uh, because the I believe the submission date for the ballot is the very end of december so Hmm. you'll get those plus his his uh full ballot once he's ready to release it uh similarly in our off-season series uh dan zimborski's zips uh 2023 projections still coming out we just had the cubs come out today the astros will be coming out next week uh we have six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve teams i believe out already yes 12 teams no 11 teams out right now um, no, 12 teams out right now. So obviously mm. about half the league still to go. Otherwise we're just keeping, we're, you know, we're catching up with all the various smaller signings now. Uh, but most of this, most of the rest of the off season will be f- the big three of prospect lists, uh, hall of fame profiles, Jay's jaws stuff and Dan's zips projections, uh, as we get through the holidays and go into the new year. And then we believe it or not in like a month's time, we'll be, we'll be getting ready for spring training, which is wild to think about. We're only two months away from the start of spring training. That's wild. Yeah. And that's the thing. The major part of the offseason, like you noted, it's over. All the major free agent signings have happened. Like, from here on out, it's really just about trades and and all the kind of stuff that's going on around the edges. Jerry DePoto season. They should call it the Jerry DePoto Memorial Tournament. Or not Memorial. He's still alive. I refer to it as the J- the Jerry Depoto season. Like it's yeah. not it's not January. It's Jerry where Jerry 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 or Jerry 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 I'm gonna workshop that one. It's got some potential. Come on the pod, Jerry Depoto. Come on the pod. Tell like, us what I've you're already, up to. I've got January. I've already got a good one that Heim Bloom is actually Heim Blame. So I'm starting with that. I'm working my way through the list now. Oh, John Taylor. This is why he is the editor at Fangraphs.com. Uh, there you go. The bad puns, or yeah, the bad puns. It's no, just that, that's it. what keeps editors in business. It's true. 
It, it really is. John Taylor, always a pleasure. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, mm-hmm. you're, um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah.